Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is the co-host of the Flock Pod, Justin Pluid. Justin, welcome to the show. What's going on, Patty, man? Thanks for having me. So we're working out some kinks. I'm not sure if people are hearing this in one ear. I'm only hearing you in one ear. We'll see how it goes. The show must go on. We're upgrading stuff as I go. Uh, If you've been following the Facebook feed, you'll know that I've got kind of a new setup in my studio. We're doing this on an iPad for the first time. We're just trying out different things. This technology is pretty cutting edge and it's a lot of fun with the Zoom stuff. What's well, not it's a lot Zoom of fun, world, man. It's a yeah, Zoom world. It's that's right. So what's <laughs> not a what's not a lot of fun is the current climate in this country and globally. It, as if COVID wasn't enough, we have yet another example of police brutality towards African Americans and you know, people are frustrated beyond belief. I have you on the show pretty frequently. This is I think your third time. One of the things that, that I like to have you on for is that you are somebody that I can talk sports with. And I wanted to say this before we go too deep into this, that I was really worried about doing this episode that it was going to come off as being tone deaf because right now there, for one, there is no sports, hardly. For two, it's like, how could we talk about sports in a time of such crisis? Yeah. But I do feel like there is a connection. There's a deep connection because there's a lot of athletes that have been known for speaking out. You remember when Kobe and LeBron and all those players were wearing, I can't breathe shirts. Uh, And unfortunately I don't remember the name of the person that they were referring to with that one. I think it was Freddie Gray or whatever, but the the, the reality is, is that it's ongoing. It's, it's not like it's a one person thing. Yeah. That's part of the problem. It's just the having to remember so many different incidents that have taken place becomes overwhelming, you know, and that's where they're, you know, being at the rally um, that took place on Sunday, you know, that was the biggest to just, you know, saying the names, making sure that they're all being heard and things of that nature. So they're all valued. So you did go to the rally. Yeah, I was at the rally on Sunday. And it's funny that you mentioned the just the connection with sporting events. There was like this moment where we were kind of headed up over Ferry Street Bridge. And I was with a group of people. We were kind of hanging in the back just because, you know, COVID, social distancing, that kind of a thing. We weren't trying to be in the middle of the group per se. But um, I started talking to my friend. It's like, you know, I wonder how many people this is. And I had this moment thinking about just that communal connection that 
people seek, you know, and having that, you know, that's one of the things about being at Autzen Stadium is disagree or whatever about the, the positives of college football, but it's still 60,000 people that have come together for like one common purpose, one common good or what have you. And so kind of having that moment coming up over the bridge, I kind of felt that same feeling of, you know, unity and everyone was there for one reason. So you can hear producer Zuko down here trying to get some points <laughs> in also. But right. um, I think that's something very human that we all seek, you know, that we all want to have that connection with. Yeah, I think there's with COVID, there's been a lot of silver linings because one of the things, like you just said, I am a huge uh, builder of community, something that I strive to do constantly with the Five for One community group, with this podcast itself, you know, and you and I met through Shane really, but really I met Shane through just building community by right. him being like, I mean, we had crossed paths in different ways, but weren't close in any way. And he reached out and said, Hey, I have some questions about doing a podcast. And I was like, let me help you. Instead yeah. of being like, that's my wheelhouse, which it's totally, I mean, I'd copied someone else, you know. <laughs> it's the ultimate form of flattery. Right. But there has been some silver linings that I've noticed, you know, now that the barbershop is back open, not to get off point, but we've had people in and everybody's been like, thank you so much for being here. And, you know, a lot of, one of the grown men, young men and old men between the ages of 20 and 70 that come into my shop or older but they've been open about their vulnerabilities. And I think that that's something that's really been needed for so long. And I think that's how we can make progress in every aspect of life. And so that's something that I'm, I'm really optimistic about. And that this is also could tie into race and equality and all that stuff, because if we all can look at each other and say, we all share the same experiences and, and the pursuit of happiness and the love of our families, then we can start to make serious progress. You know, with race, one of the things I'm, I'm outspoken about how proud I am to be Irish. Right. And so one of the things that I felt like that's done for me is that it makes it so that I'm proud to be Irish. Well, if somebody's proud to be Mexican, we're all American here. Mm -hmm. Then that we're the same. Yeah. We have different experiences, different up, you know, backgrounds, but we're the same because we all came from somewhere unless we're native. Mm -hmm. And in that case, you're proud of that too. And you have, Absolutely. you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's something that we can actually share instead of being less white, black, well, I think you're hitting on something that's super important is that a lot of people, especially, I mean, I'm, I'm an American, I mean, I'm Canadian, I used to have dual citizenship, what have you. But I think that a lot of people that you're seeing have a lot of this anger towards other races or other people that don't look like them, whatever that might be, is because they don't have that kind of sense of identity. And I think that's something that a lot of Americans are lacking is that kind of connection to their other ancestors, if you will, and kind of that connection to, to who they were for generations as opposed to just who they are now. And I think right. that's that where that insecurity comes from, that globbing onto other cultures and trying to make it their own and all that appropriation and things of that nature. So it, it's interesting that you hit on that. And then it also stems into just we have a lack of exposure. I mean, let's be honest here in Oregon. I mean, it was founded on, under some unfortunate circumstances as a state. And because of that, I think we have a much lower population of people of color. And that makes a big difference in regards to education and exposure. And when you're not, you know, educated or exposed to the people that don't look like you, you fear them. That, that's a natural sure. instinct. And I think that that gives some kind of clarity on what's happening in Oregon, but yeah. what's, why is it happening in Los Angeles? You know yeah, what I mean? So, you know, or it's New York. And so sure. it's systematic. So yeah. I don't, I mean, you know, one of the, the things that I've learned over the years is the, the best way to combat 
any type of injustice is by listening and by, and so here's two white guys talking about this. So that is going <laughs> to no matter what, that's going to be tone deaf to an extent, yeah, but the conversation, th that conversation is really necessary. And I just wanted to do something today for one. I'm not even going to lie. I've been trying really hard to test out this new equipment. I'm glad you're here with me talking about this. You're Absolutely. somebody that I know that we can kind of go in different places with, and that's going to be comfortable. My specialty, then, man. That's my special, right, right. My specialty. <laughs> but I also feel like people need a distraction. Not that they shouldn't be focusing on what's going on. There's, if you want the information, you've already seen it. It's already yeah. there. There's live feeds. There's all kinds of stuff. People need other things. And that's my segue into sports because sports people are like, Oh, you know that that's just a distraction. And I'm like, Oh God, yes I do. And I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. Now with COVID, before all this and shutting down sports, it really exposes how much peace it can bring to us. Mm -hmm. And the sports connotation with race, we've made so much progress in as, as a society because of sports. I think more than any other area. I think with sports, Michael Jordan was somebody, and we're going to talk about him a lot today, that, you know, in the shutdown, everybody's been watching The Last Dance. Well, Michael Jordan is somebody that race, he transcended it. Nobody was, and I don't think it was intentional. You know, Michael, Michael it, Jordan, they talked about universal. it. Universal, You know, even no. he wasn't universal. That's, that's something that's definitely worth acknowledging. But like you said, yeah, it's definitely, um, he crossed a lot of boundaries that a lot of people had laid a, laid a foundation for him beforehand, you know, with Ali and Jackie Robinson and these yes. other prevalent Bill athletes. Bill Russell. Bill Russell, exactly, um, who used Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, who used their platform in a really um, positive way and in a, in a benevolent way. Bill Russell said something that always is amazing. It's a clip. Obviously it was the sixties. So we weren't around, but this clip where they like, so do you let your, you know, a reporter tone deaf reporter, do you let your kids play with the white kids in the neighborhood trying to actually cause the, this, you know, divide. And he goes, Oh, I let him, I let them all play. Never had no problems yet. You know, you know, and it's just yeah. the best because it, he's, <laughs> because at that time, and this is where I'm saying Michael Jordan transcended unintentional or not. Because at that time, he had to play the peacekeeper. He could not be disruptive because it would have been squashed. And then he's the angry black man. Yeah, absolutely. Jordan was, was really known because there was a candidate running. They talked about it on The Last Dance. And if people mm -hmm. haven't seen it, I encourage them. But he made a comment where he's like, look, I don't comment on politics because Republicans buy shoes too. So he did it as a capitalist, very American, which is totally okay. But he also, by making that comment you know, transcended race in a lot of ways, because a lot of people were pissed at him in the black community. Sure. But I think that what ended up, it made progress in the long run. Now, LeBron has taken it and ran with it and he's gone a different direction. And I uh, admire him. This is my favorite part of LeBron, by the way, I was going to use him on the favorite part of LeBron, <laughs> my only favorite part. No, but LeBron gave in the shut up and dribble, which is a show produced by LeBron James, which I highly encourage people watch. I think it's only three episodes is what they did as a mini series and he gives jordan that credit he actually brought it up and it was awesome to see someone say that because i'd never heard it on the lexicon i'd never heard espn even mentioned it i'm sure they have but in any way about jordan and then the last dance talked about it but i swear lebron was the one that like he pushed that agenda and it's yeah, he's never been shy about, um, you know, being an advocate in those kinds of moments, you know, like you said, you know, him wearing the I can't breathe shirt, you know, with Kobe and things of that nature and everything that he's done in his own community there in Akron. You know, I think I catch a, I mean, a lot of people that know me well, I, I catch a lot of uh, flack for my anti LaFlop takes over here. But um, off the court, I respect him and admire him in so many ways because of the fact that he's had a spotlight on him since he was 15 years old. 
And, you know, up until this point, he's really avoided any kind of black marks on his record or any kind of negativity in that regard in the public eye. And he's done so in a way he's where he's still been able to navigate that world and still have a platform where he can speak on these things in a conscious manner. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's, he's a class act. There's never been, like you said, there's never been a stain. We were Off talking about this. Great. Oh yeah. Well, and even in basketball, we were talking about this because of the last dance and we're going to bounce around between like controversial issues and just the actual game itself. But the one thing about LeBron that people can argue this all they want. Jordan, they're like, Oh my God, he's the best competitor, but he was a terrible teammate. Yes. The outcome had they lost, had they lost in any of those finals, even one, I bet you that things would be different. And not everybody has a peachy clean memory of him. Look at Horace Grant's experience where he's like, yeah. this guy. I would you know, say but, the, I'd say the one thing about Jordan and the reason why he, like you said, he was able to quote unquote, get away with it is because he was truly being authentic. You know, yeah. you have to, as a leader, you have to lead the only way that you know. And in that way, I mean, was he a good or bad teammate? Yes or no. Did he make his teammates better? Absolutely. Because he right. elevated the standards and he's, there was no excuses for not meeting that standard. And I mean, having, having fear can be a very powerful thing. And then having the, the balance of having Phil Jackson there to help build guys back up, Scottie Pippen to go put an arm around a guy, they really allowed Jordan to be that um, hellacious leader and to get every ounce of everything out of those guys around him. I guess this with LeBron, I guess it just would be the regular season would be a lot more fun playing with a guy like LeBron. Cause I'm sure they're loose. They're having fun. It's a little bit different. It's not it's every single second. All the time. Yeah. And then, I mean, Kobe obviously followed in Jordan's footsteps with the same way where it was like, it you know, it was terrible to be on his team for, for moments. Depends on what you want out of it. He was doing it inauthentically, right? Trying to copy somebody else's lead. Absolutely. So Michael Jordan made some comments recently, and I think a lot of people missed it because people aren't watching ESPN the same as they have in the past. I saw a good friend of mine posted today. She's like, where are uh, black pop culture entertainers right now? And I'm like, you know, she's like, where's Kanye? Where's, you know, Doc Jay-Z? Where's Michael Jordan? And I was like, well, I don't know about Kanye because I don't follow him on anything. That's a different story. But I do know Michael Jordan made a comment and he said that he's pained and plain angry, quote, uh, at the situation. And he gave his, he said that, you know, it's time to stand together and blah, blah, blah. And I encourage anybody to read the story. All you have to do is Google, you know, Michael Jordan on George Floyd. And he made some very powerful statements on it, which is rare. And he has more lately made comments on different things. You know, but these, these athletes, they're in a really difficult situation because if they don't speak, people are like, they didn't do anything. And if they do speak, they're like, shut up and dribble, you know? And so uh, where do you think their place is in it? I mean, me personally, I think that it's great when they speak out, even if I disagree. Yeah. I think, I think it all comes back to being authentic. You know, if you feel something in yourself in this, I think this goes for anybody. I mean, for athletes or for anybody in these kinds of times where there is so much uh, tumultuous activity going on around us. And I think if, if you feel something within yourself to speak up and, you know, that voice getting louder and that urge within you, then do so. You know, if, if you're not one of those people that feels comfortable using your platform and getting out there and speaking and being, you know, public on those matters, you know, do something else that makes you feel good, donate to the cause, you know, share other people's stuff that that is saying something. So I think when it comes down to athletes specifically, it's just doing what you feel comfortable with and being authentic, because that's when people tend to get in trouble is when they're trying to do things that aren't authentic. And then they say something that they, you know, didn't mean or gets construed or well, um, like, like LeBron with China. 
Yeah, or Dar- in the, the Hong Kong, Kong protests. Yeah. yeah, he, he there, made a statement some... on that. And, and obviously, in a, it's in Hong Kong, we have no concept of that. Yeah. Oh, I thought I heard something. We, well, we, have no, <laughs> we, have no, we have no concept of that. We have no connection to their world. So when LeBron made those public comments, it ended up being really kind of out of character, out of place. Yeah, and you could tell some of that was just coming straight from the NBA and coming straight from the players' union, also, because that's literally, and that's that's where it comes back to cream. You know, cash rule is everything around me. That's money coming straight out of the players' pockets because of a, a retweet by Daryl Morey. You know, and that's it's an interesting correlation with the the human rights issues and things of that nature that's going on over there in regards to, and then the loss of funds with some of the situation that people are now talking about, you know, the, the rioting and the looting and, you know, people are getting more caught up on that aspect of it as opposed to the literal loss of human life over and over and over again. Right. I mean, in, in you talk about the looting in Hong Kong, the looting here, you know, what we just saw, there's so much misinformation and so much misdirected anger and basically like a decision to just ignore certain aspects of it. Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick was such a blatant, you know, this, the situation went, went on long enough that if people decide they're like, I refuse to look at what he's doing it for. Like if he, if you don't acknowledge that it was about police brutality, that he was kneeling, then you're refusing to because he did everything in his power to get that point across. Yeah. And people refuse because they're like, it's disrespecting the flag. And he's like, I understand. Like, he literally was told, you can speak on that too. The Green Beret thing. I mean, like that guy told him. Exactly. Yeah. I can't remember the, the gentleman's name that was in his locker room, but that's what, that's what beget the whole situation is he, Colin Kaepernick went to him to have a conversation about, you know, how do you feel as if I should go about something like this? How can I, you know, make, make my voice heard? How can I use my platform? And that was his suggestion. And so it's just, it's so interesting how the, the story can get spun, how the narrative oh, totally. can get taken in a different direction so quickly and how your, your best intentions, whatever they might be, are still going to lead to you sacrificing quite a bit in this, in this current climate when you do speak out on these kinds of subjects. I mean, we've seen that going all the way back to, again, I'll mention Muhammad Ali when he decided to, you know, not go to Vietnam. You know, I don't have a problem with those guys. Why would I go fight over there? He lost, I mean, almost a year and a half of his boxing career because of that. So yeah, I mean, you to go to jail. Exactly. And so it's, it's difficult to ask people in situations where they have, I mean, I'm not going to call them luxuries, but when they have a certain situation where they're thriving in life, you know, these guys, these athletes that are thriving and making, you know, ultimate uh, sacrifices for their career, then to turn around and make an ultimate sacrifice for the greater good. You know, that's not an easy thing to ask of anybody. It's similar. And I know you wanted to talk about Donald Sterling a little bit, but it's similar to when, um, you know, there was talk of the Clippers and the Warriors not coming out and playing that game that night, you know, and how, what a powerful familiar Because I think 2014, Donald, Donald Sterling was the the owner of, and and it's funny because they don't really, sports are going in a direction where owner might not be the right term. Of exactly. the players. Because exactly. I think of the franchise, yes, but they don't own the players. You know, LeBron got, LeBron got in some hot water for saying that he felt like a slave when he was playing for the Cavs under the owner, Dan Gilbert. And I understand, you know, his point. But at the same time, it's like, dude, you make a ton of money. That's a different issue. So yes. Donald Sterling made some comments about, Michael, about Magic Johnson. And it was, you know, he was caught on basically his mistress recorded uh, – phone conversations with him using the n-word being super derogatory and being like i don't want i don't want you to be seen with people like that you know and it was obviously he i mean he literally not just 
not just uh, painted a picture. He literally said like black people like that. <laughs> like it he was literally very direct. Said, yeah, it was very clear. Yeah. And so, yeah. So his franchise, the Clippers were taken from him essentially. Mm-hmm. And this brought this really questionable thing because, you know, he, unfortunately the first amendment is something I feel strongly about. And so sometimes, especially in private, your own personal conversations, as long as you're not inciting violence in, in public, you kind of have rights. I mean, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that were black that talked about, I wish people would just tell me that they're racist. Then we at least, we at least know who you are. There's an understanding there. Yeah. The playing field is known. Right. So, but Donald Sterling lost the team. And like you were saying teams, uh, you know, Chris Paul, who's, who was on the Clippers at the time. Mm-hmm. And Chris Paul has been the president of the players association. So he's extremely involved uh, on the players defense constantly. And he's very outspoken and then the Warriors and Steve Kerr has been somebody that's been extremely vocal. And Steve Kerr, the, the coach of the Warriors, he uh, was in the last dance. They talked about his dad being killed in Lebanon. His dad was a, was a uh, what was it? He, well, he worked at a school there. Yeah, he was president of a U.S. school that was over there. Yeah. Right. And so he does kind of have a history. You know, interestingly enough, Michael Jordan's father was killed. Much different mm-hmm. circumstances. They did a, a they did convict uh, two young African American guys. We're not going to get into the conspiracy theories of that because I have heard that they literally bought the, the the ring and that's all they had to convict on them. I don't know if you've ever heard that. No, there well, there's all kinds of uh, interesting conspiracy theories that that go along with that one for sure. Yeah, and yeah. I just I just choose the, to stay. I choose away. to stay out of it as well. <laughs> Regardless, he lost his his you know father to senseless violence. When it was interesting that Steve Kerr was on a podcast recently and he mentioned that that's something that him and Michael Jordan never discussed. That topic never came up between the two of them that they had both lost their fathers. And that kind of shows just going again, going back to Michael Jordan, his persona and how much he still hid from his teammates. And probably just everything, you know, he's, he's very private in a lot of ways. And that's how he protected his image, but also he, he protected his, you know, his focus was dead set and he would create rivalries out of anything he could. And so by giving nothing of yourself, then they, then it doesn't make you vulnerable. Now that works for an athlete. Back when I was talking about earlier in this episode, I think that as human beings that we should probably break down some of those walls and that's how we can actually help each other. We don't need to win at all costs in every aspect of life. That's not what life is about. Life is about progress and sharing the common good. Bring more of that uh, Jackie Moon energy. Everybody love everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> E-L-E. Yeah, you Jackie knew, you Moon. You knew I was going to bring that up at some point. I have to. That's awesome. So, <laughs> so I really want to uh, touch on this. So, so you went to the rally. What was your experience? This was in Eugene, Oregon. There was a huge... Yep. I, don't, I mean, there's estimates of how many people, but it was like in the 20,000 range, 30. 000. Yeah, I was saying just because we were kind of in the back and we didn't see the huge, um, the larger crowd kind of congregate there at Alton Baker, but I was guessing around 10 to 15 as we were walking over the bridge. But it, w- it was very powerful, very, very peaceful. You know, everybody there seemed to be there for the right reasons. You know, at the beginning of the protest, at least it seemed later on, um, some, some people showed up that were kind of against what was going on. And that's when things began to get a little bit violent, unfortunately. But everybody there was um, a lot of good conversations even going on in the crowd. I mean, we were pretty far back, so we couldn't hear the speakers perfectly, but it was still powerful just to be there. And again, just 
during these times of COVID, I think any time where people can kind of come together over one common thing, one one objective that they're trying to get over, that that makes you feel good as a human, also, you know. And so to be there and to be an ally and just to be present, and um, it it made me feel again as if I'm not just being stagnant, as if I'm not just doing nothing with this whole situation going on. I heard a lot of people were wearing masks, but it still makes me nervous, you know, because you have that two week incubation period or whatever. Absolutely. And I just hope that we don't see numbers skyrocket. I did so much, like like you mentioned, pretty much everybody was wearing a mask. And I'd I'd say 40% of people were still trying to actively do the social distancing thing. But then the rest of everybody was just, I mean, there was a lot of hugging going on too. It is Eugene. Right. (laughs) And that, I mean, I don't like being hugged. (laughs) I'm a hugger, man. No, I'm a a hugger. I'm going to give you a virtual hug right now. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So we're talking sports and, you know, activism in sports. I think some of the biggest notable ones in history, John Carlos at the Olympics, you know, in that statement. And I noticed, I mean, the the fist, you know, standing on the podium, holding the fist up. And I know that, that that statement at the time today, it's like iconic. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. At the time, that was like the Kaepernick thing to a lot of people where people were just straight up offended. Like, they're like, how could you do that when the national anthem is playing? And, you know, now we learn about it in our history books. And this is one of the reasons that there's a group of people in this country that want our history books to be burnt and then written in Texas. (laughs) You know, and that's a whole different topic we could go into. But, you know, there's so many activists. You mentioned Muhammad Ali because Muhammad Ali... People don't realize today how, how humongous boxing was. I mean, I think it really died in the early 90s. You know, Mike Tyson was humongous, but was really the last major boxer that I can think of. Probably the last boxer that captured like the national lexicon, right? The, the last person that really captured a full-on America's attention. Which, have you heard that he's talking about fighting Tyson Fury? I've heard him and Evander Holyfield are talking about doing a fight as well. And yeah. like, there's not, there's not been enough of those, but I would watch it regardless. <laughs> Mike Tyson. I'd watch him as Fury for sure. I'd actually be very interested to see that fight. But anyway, to get, to get us back on topic. Yeah. It's boxing was such a, um, it was such a great spectator sport. It was one of those sports that everybody in the family would kind of come together and watch almost. Whereas nowadays, I mean, UFC is kind of supplanted it in that just the, the fighting realm, but even UFC doesn't capture the full national spotlight, like the early nineties or even like earlier on Joe Frazier and whatnot before him. Yeah. And, and, you know, Muhammad Ali was somebody that was pretty polarizing, but was very vocal. And I think that he pushed for a lot of change. And like I said before, I really truly believe that sports has been in an area where race has been pushed so much to where it brings people together. You know, there's so many stories that, uh, what was the Disney movie about the Heisman Trophy winner that was getting racial slurs and all that. You know, I, I think he was the first, Ernie, gosh, I wish I knew it. Ernie something. He was the first black Heisman Trophy winner, maybe. Okay. You know, and, you know, there's all these stories that we grow up on. And that's the thing. It's like, ah, this is an p- argument that a lot of, like I just said, there's a whole group of people that are like, oh, those history books, they're, they're teaching you all this liberal nonsense. I'm like, dude, this shouldn't be a Republican Democrat issue. Exactly. I mean, I mean our, our history is our history. I mean, whether right. you see it in different spectrums or not. Well, in the Birth of a Nation, if anybody's familiar with that movie, Birth of a Nation literally is, it, it's like the 1940s when it came out. And it was literally talking about the origins of the country. So it was in the 40s when there was still just massive racism in this country. Like, 
outward racism and and the reign of the kkk and all that but it was about the origins of the country how i mean it shows how systematic racism is a thing you know and that's it's not debatable for me Mm -hmm. so uh i wanted to talk about some actual sports and so some some optimistic things you know because we're gonna hear a lot of stuff right now about people being vocal about what's going on and that's really good and i think that there's a ton of places for people to turn if they need information on you know everything going on one thing i do want to touch on before we get we change topics uh george floyd's family (coughs) george floyd's family did did speak today and his brother was saying you know basically it's a time for peace and so the rioting the rioting they themselves you're not doing it in their honor Mm -hmm. because they themselves don't want to see that and so you know destroying small businesses is not going to get the point across and i -hmm. thought it was really powerful I, don't, I wanted to just bring up one aspect before we completely change gears. And this is, I mean, a little bit out of context, but again, talking about just the, the education aspects and the exposure aspects and the um, progress that that can lead or the mental evolution that that can lead to. Um, we need more people um, like this guy, Daryl Davis. I don't know if you know this story oh, much yes. off the, the Joe Rogan podcast. And it's just, it's having that ability to sit down and have conversations. And like you said, how important just listening is and Hey, where, where are these feelings that you have coming from? You know, why do you feel this way? Is this something that, you know, your grandfather ingrained to your father and he ingrained it into you? Or did you have an experience when you were younger with somebody? And a lot of those situations, these are people that have never had interactions with people that don't look like them, you know, and, and we don't have a lot of, um, especially here in Oregon, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of opportunities also. And so giving yourself those opportunities, putting yourselves out there, you know, reaching out to people is to have conversations and, and building that community in that way, I think is something that we can all, um, all do. You know, that, that's a way that we can all be involved and we can all have conversation and just kind of build that, that education piece so that people um, have a better understanding because that, that's what's going to ultimately lead to love, you know, is understanding yeah. one another. Daryl Davis, uh, I actually did watch the documentary and I stumbled across it because I, I don't watch a lot of fiction anymore. I just watch documentaries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I started yeah. watching the Jeff Epstein one last night and that's a train wreck. But anyways, Daryl Davis. Can't do it. <laughs> no, can't do it. I can't do it. I made it like 15 minutes. No, Daryl Davis is an African-American man. He's a jazz keyboard player. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is an amazing human being because, and this is tough. So what he did was the, the documentary is called Accidental Cur- Courtesy. Accidental Courtesy. And he made it his goal to befriend people that were in the KKK and in hate groups, mainly the KKK. But yes. his goal was to have his closet filled with clan hoods and clan uniforms because he would befriend these people in the KKK. And then over time, they would, he would kind of just show them kindness and love and respect and listen and hear them. And they would then give them their wardrobe, their, their garb, their, you know, racist mm-hmm. garb because they're like, I don't need this anymore. And I, and it was kind of, you know, he would tell them straight up. He's like, I want I want that. I want you to give it to me because it's a, then you don't need it anymore. And so here's this black man with a closet full of clan hoods and it's incredible. Now this is the one problem I have with it. Not really problem, but I want to make it clear that I don't think the onus is on the oppressed in order to, to change, you know? So when I watched that, I was like, well, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say that this guy, it's like, they need to change. They're the ones with hate. Mm -hmm. So he's breaking the cycle. And that's something that I think is incredible. I, think that it happens this is going to go 
Jeffrey Epstein segue. I think it happens with child molestation. I think it happens with hate. There's a cycle a lot of times. And I think that the, it's, it's difficult to expect the traumatized to be the ones and the onus to be on them to break the cycle. But it's a powerful damn thing when they do. You know what I, you know what I mean? And yeah, it's an unfair situation. I mean, you look back, I read um, one of a really powerful thing when I was younger is I got to read um, a book on Jackie Robinson, you know, and just hearing about his struggles that he faced every single day when he went to the ballpark, all the, the words that he was being thrown at him and the physical violence that was being threatened upon him and his family. And it would have been very easy for him to, to lash out in any of those situations. And it, it's unfair of us as a culture to ask him to have such a pristine record. But him doing so is what established that pathway for so many people to kind of follow him. So again, it comes down to that, that self-sacrifice and it takes special, I mean, albeit great individuals to be able to do that. Right. So this isn't a call to somebody that's like, if you're being persecuted, you know, you need to be the better person. That's not what we're saying at all. (laughs) What we're saying is it's extremely, extremely inspiring when you see somebody that has had hate thrown at them. And that they themselves won't take the bait. You know, Bill Russell, who you talk about Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson is the first African-American in major sports in the four major sports baseball. But Bill Russell was the first African-American coach in the NBA. He was a player coach. He was the, just the most successful player in NBA history. And a lot of people want to forget that from the record because they played against shitty opponents. But that's not his fault. And I still think Bill Russell would be awesome today, you know, if, if he was playing ball. Yep. Today. And he's just a pillar in the community and has been so inspiring on what kind of person to be. And I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a fly on the wall when he's talking to somebody like Kevin Garnett, you know, Kevin Garnett is so outspoken mm-hmm. and so boisterous. But then when he is talking to a man like Bill Russell, first he'd be like a little boy and he's just like, yep. Oh my God. But then when Bill Russell gives him the dignity to be a man eye to eye, it's pretty powerful. Bill Russell's my absolute favorite athlete of all time. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a Celtics fan, and, and he made the Celtics better than everyone else. He held them up for a long time. <laughs> the Lakers are catching up. And, you know, Kobe, Kobe, Kobe's legacy has softened some of my hate. <laughs> it's like it happens. Hard, it happens. It's, interesting. it's hard not to, right? It's hard not to, absolutely. Yeah, because the way that that whole went, thing went down, I just have a soft spot for him, and I always will. And he's, he's such a – I don't know. That's a whole different story. Yeah, so, that's a whole other I, podcast right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to talk about actual – the prospect of sports locally and nationally. We're going to get to the Emeralds, but it looks like the Emeralds have some good news, which we'll, we'll get to in a second. Okay. I read a little bit and not enough, but – because I still don't – that's June 17th, the Eugene Emeralds. That can't be happening. That's well, we're the, I mean, we can get to baseball, but there's all kinds of issues of funding for minor league baseball also, and if they're even going to risk having it. So It sounds like – so I was nervous about the Eugene Emeralds before COVID about them losing the team. There was talks about that. So, And I just did a quick Google search today, and there was a story in April that came out that said that they're actually talking about extending the season uh, after 2021. They're going to wow. cut 42 teams, but the Eugene Emeralds are not one of them. So that's really exciting news. I yeah. don't know about what's going to come – Cause it's June 1st and the 17th is opening day. I don't see that happening. I don't think that that's legal, you know, from the, from the executive orders. I don't think we're going to be into phase three yet. 
Yeah, I think that's so, something like phase five where you're allowed to play minor league baseball. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, phase five of the three phases, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so any so that's probably not gonna be a thing. Now, the ducks football, I don't see happening. I honestly so that, don't. I mean, Shane and I have talked a lot about us on the good old flock pod. Little little shameless plug there. Flock pod. Yeah, for anybody listening, just so you know, I'm I'm not to cut you off, but I mentioned this before, but Justin is the host of the flock pod. We've done a full episode about them, but you can find them on every streaming site and we'll post the link in the show notes. So yeah, anyway, awesome. yeah, we talked, I mean, they brought up all kinds of ideas. Ohio state is offered to, to move that game from Eugene to the, to the shoe in Ohio, because I guess their governor has been more lenient on um, big events and fans possibly being in the stands for that kind of a game. Um, I'm, the Pac-12 is in an interesting position because the California school system has already come out and said that they're not calling athletes or students back to campuses in the fall. You would think that would lead you to believe there was going to be no sports then in the fall. And if those four California schools decide not to play, does the Pac-12 become the Pac-8 and they, they just try to have a season? Does that put pressure on the four California schools to then come along and, and play games without fans? I mean, it could get really, really weird where if the NCAA comes out and says, hey, we're not going to have a season, I could see the SEC saying, okay, that's cute, but we're going to come over here and do our own thing then for this year. Right. I mean, there, there's this, we it's are gonna get ugly. Sit in a territory when it comes to sports. College sports are in trouble anyway, you know, because the whole argument reason, yes. in California, it's funny because California has a lot to do with it. Now, I don't mean this to be like attacking California. <laughs> I actually support I support most of the stuff that they're doing. I support the shutdowns. I support the, the waiting as much as it's painful for me not to have sports. I support it to wait. I support waiting until it's the right time. Yeah. You know, and we're going to know in a couple of weeks with all these protests, because this is the biggest example of breaking the rules of social distancing across the country that we've seen. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to know. And I mean, if, if people were able to do that with masks, you know, because I still believe that the masks are important in big gatherings like that. Yep. But if we have a huge outbreak, all bets are off. We're going to be having another shutdown. Yeah. But that's a different story, you know. But I think college sports are in trouble because the economics of it, because of the paying the players. California passed a bill that they can pay the players, which means that if you're going to play football, you might as well play for a California school at that point. Which mm-hmm. could, and that's not their intention. They weren't trying to do this only for California. Exactly. They're trying to be the set the precedent. And Oregon mm-hmm. and Washington will follow suit, as the West Coast does. Yeah, and I think that comes into effect in 2022, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I can't wait because I can't wait for personal reasons for the NCAA college football video yes. game. Yes. No, but <laughs> but uh, and I know I'm not alone in that. Uh, you know, I've heard some talk on campus about the sports budget for the athletic departments about 125 million dollars a year. 85 million dollars revenue is brought in by the football team. So this is going to be like horrible you know and and women's sports are where basketball was is blowing up and obviously you and shane i love it because you and shane aren't asterix fans like you're not fans of this it's like your secondary thing to men's basketball you're like no no i love it like like i, I, genuinely I might enjoy that it. women's team more than the men's team honestly i mean even now the mother of ducklings is gone you know i i do have an infatuation i've got pow pow coming in this next year as a part of that recruiting class to kind of glob onto but i think you hit on a really interesting point is that football basically is the rising tide that lifts the rest of the collegiate sports into a process of having them even eligible to be played you know, it was interesting to hear uh, Bill Simmons was talking about this on one of his podcasts saying you might see a situation where you only have football 
and then maybe three or four women's sports just to balance out the title nine, but that might be everything. I mean, a lot of these lower, I mean, U of O is in an incredibly fortunate situation because they are a privately funded athletic department. They don't take any money from the athletics or from the academic side whatsoever. But a lot of schools are not in that situation. A lot of uh, these athletic departments are solely reliant upon that football revenue to keep every other sport afloat. And so if you don't have that, you're going to have to streamline things. You're going to have to cut, you know, quote unquote, fat where you can if you want to have any kind of um, athletics whatsoever. Yeah, and that's really scary because, I mean, the Title IX already, you know, I, I agree with the concept of it, but when we brought back baseball, they had to cut wrestling. And that's more about the number of players because, like you said, the University of Oregon, because of donations, because of straight revenue from the football team, and because, you know, Phil Knight. But Uncle Phil, we love you, Uncle Phil. Yeah. So, but you know, it's, it's just one of those things that the football program – does so much and Phil Knight donates a lot of money for the sciences and people don't give him credit for that. You know, anybody that actually spends enough time doing their research and due diligence on the ducks football team, there's no reason for people to get pissed. The one thing that's frustrating though, that I see is that the coaches are sometimes the highest paid public employee, you know, and that, and that is not just an Oregon problem. That's a problem across the country. I mean, there's NFL coaches making $12 million a year and then they raise the tuition and you can't tell me that they're not raising tuition because they want to be able to so, like those schools, like that don't have Oregon's absolute prominence or whatnot. You know, they raise tuition every year. Yeah. And this, I want to use thing- this opportunity to talk to just real quickly. Um, Mario Cristobal was actually at the, the protests or the, the demonstration awesome. on Sunday. So I just want to call, I mean, that's, that's an awesome example from that head coach being a man of Oregon. Um, and I know that a lot of other coaches were there with him. I can't remember all their names off the top of my head at this moment, but I just wanted to make sure that, you know, your, your listeners and viewers and everybody knew that, that he was there in fact present at the demonstration. Well, and, and also I'm not faulting the coach for getting a payday. He has an agent Yes. <laughs> you know, and just like anyone else, Green, because, I mean, <laughs> one thing with sports that people don't understand is, is that it's not the coach or the player that's, that's negotiating their contract. They have agents, they handle that stuff. They just go to work and do their job. So there, there's a value there that yeah. has been determined. Mm-hmm. You can't fault a man for making his paper. That's if people agree to pay him, that's on, that's exactly. not the issue. Exactly. But you know, there has been coaches, uh, Sumler, you know, I can't remember what school he's at. He's been at a couple uh, Texas Tech, I believe. Mm-hmm. But Kevin Sumler, uh, who's an African-American man, you know, he was speaking out. But then you see uh, Caucasian coaches. You see, like you said, Crystal Ball there. You see, um, oh gosh, what's his face from Alabama? Nick Saban. Nick Saban's had some, some pretty, pretty strong. Carroll. Yeah, and Nick Saban comes from an area that might, I mean, they've got a lot more turbulent uh, racial divide in a place like Alabama because you've got such a prominent black community and you've got such a Republican stronghold and there's black Republicans and all that. And we're not getting here to talk politics completely. We yes. definitely are. Yes. But yeah. So, but yeah, college sports in general, I'm worried about, I'm worried about the future of it. It'd be really interesting. I am optimistic about the NBA. So it looks like the NBA is planning a reopening and the NBA is definitely progressive in the way that they handle things and they're innovative and they'll try things. And if it flops, then who cares? The, the all-star game was amazing the way that they did that this last year. Yeah, that Elam ending was really interesting. Yeah. And it looks like the all-star game or the reopening, they have a proposal for the first round that I fingers crossed that this becomes long-term. Anybody that watches soccer will understand it's a group stage format. So 20 teams and there's five or f- five groups or four groups of five. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you play everybody for you play eight games, so you can't play yourself. So you play eight games in the first round, two against every team, and then whoever uh, the top two teams advance. If you have a better record in the regular season, you have a tiebreaker. So there's a lot of it gives a lot of uh, uh, bonuses to the teams that worked hard in the regular season and incentive. You know, the and I think thing, the only thing I'd like to see changed about the one proposal that you just said is I'd like to see just the, the bottom team drop out. And then you just basically go back to your traditional, you know, one V eight, one V eight. Cause then you can still have your normal, basically your playoff system. And then you keep it in conferences, right? So on each side, you take 10 teams, you know, one, three, five, seven, and 10 are in one pod. And then you've got the, the even numbers over in the other pod. And if there are any ties, I want to see a one game playoff. I want, I want to see that like, and I do too. like March madness, like, and that's a game where you could have like an Elam ending of 75. So it's not putting an overly tax on the athletes to come back and play in the next couple of days. Yeah. I would also like to see them have a tournament with the, the other 10 teams that aren't in that proposal, then play similarly do a five team pool play. But this is if they want to risk bringing 30 teams back and let's, I mean, they're planning on doing this at Disney world. Disney world is 34 square miles. I mean, this is a large campus that they can have things separated where you could have these other 10 teams kind of playing in their own little pod and you do a, you know, again, two pods of five on each side. And then you kind of play it out to who gets the lottery championship. And then, you know, I mean, basketball teams are relatively small. You got 15 players. Exactly. You got, you know, probably eight to 10 coaches yep. and then trainers and doctors. So it's not tiny, but I mean, football is a hundred players, yeah. 30 coaches, you know, and then water boys and girls. Now I have and, a, I have a solution for that. Okay. So my, my dream scenario for the NBA, and this is completely never going to happen, never in a million years. I want to see them go back to like an ancient Greek style, like one-on-one, like each franchise nominates one player. They send them to the bubble. That way you're only exposing, you know, one out of 13 on your roster and they play in this like mono mono like one-on-one tournament to see who becomes the NBA champion. I would just love that for a content perspective. Obviously it will never happen. There was some talks about one-on-one tournaments, maybe not like with every franchise, but there was some talk about players doing one-on-one stuff. I've been really impressed with the innovation. No, I can completely relate to pie in the sky attitude because everything I've ever wanted in politics hasn't happened. Bernie Sanders, but like uh, every, yeah, everything I've ever wanted has been squashed. No. So I understand. No, but I am very optimistic about this proposal for this new format because I think that it, it gives some excitement and it gives us something to fulfill, you know, what we've been lacking and sports just bring everybody together. And so I'm, well, and it, I'm really, it, it, it crosses all of those, those T's too, in regards to getting enough games played for the quote unquote regular season, because you would have to call those pool play games, those pod pay games, regular season games. So the players can continue to collect their game checks on that. Because I mean, everybody wants to get to that magic 70 marker because that's when those regional sport networks completely get paid out. I mean, I would love to just sit here and talk about just the logistics of it. But unfortunately, the NBA is still, again, in that cream world where cash is going to rule everything. And those players want to get to that point where they're actually making their regular season game checks because they don't make nearly as much for the playoffs. Right. And then the NBA wants to get as many games in as possible, obviously, because that's going to be more ratings. That's going to be more viewership and it's going to be more eyeballs on a sport that you might be able to attract some people that, you know, maybe they're, they're dismayed that baseball is not having a season right now. Maybe they're mad at the NHL for canceling just the regular season and jumping to the playoffs. So the NBA, if they're smart, they can really come out here and glob up a whole lot of new viewership. Sure. And that's what they've always been good at. And that's why it's grown so much is mm-hmm. that they've, 
kind of tried different things. And, and like you said, I mean, I think it's the fastest growing sport globally. The, the way that they've included international players, you know, because of the dream team, that's when it started in 92 Big when part. they, they yeah. allowed the professional athletes to participate in the Olympics. And then they actually, the playing field started getting leveled because you had people across the, the world that were then inspired by this team. And now you got players. I mean, obviously Dirk, his career is over now, but he's probably the best international player of all time. For now. For now. Yeah. Cause it's funny that Luca, Luca is Luca Doncic on the Mavericks too. And I mean, the, the Hawks got a good player in in Trey Young, but I think that they're going to regret that trade. They're going to regret. Teams are going to regret it even more for taking Bagley above Luca. I mean, I just, I mean, we could go back and re- reiterate that whole draft, but yeah, Luca is going to be a special talent. Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to be a guy that could uh, possibly rewrite the the NBA record books. I can't believe I didn't even think of him because he's just <laughs> he's literally the Greek freak. He's literally the. It, you're watching somebody that doesn't even look normal i mean he's such an amazing athlete and he's well, massive. His brother's on the way too i mean his younger brother's on the way he was actually being discussed as a possible recruit for oregon but i guess he's actually going to go play professionally as, instead and then wait for his nba contract to come up yet another thing that's hurting college sports i actually don't think it hurts college sports weird segue here but i actually like i will always be a college sports fan regardless not i'm an nba fan first that's my favorite sport yep. but that being said i love college sports because of the the local you know, aspect of it. And because there's 115, whatever, 120 yeah. football teams, for example. And then in basketball, there's like 300 and something. There's, it's insane. You know, cause even lane, even lane LCC has competitive basketball stuff. I mean, you've coached, where have you coached at? You, so I'm, I'm coaching for the University of Oregon women's club team right now, um, but I was also a coach over at North Eugene High School um, for a couple of years there. I've coached in Arizona for, for high school basketball down there as an assistant. But I think, I think what you touch on, and I, I want to get this take out to you and see what you think about it. I think college sports and even to some degree prep and youth sports in this country is going to begin making more of a move towards that European club model. I think that you're going to begin to see some separation of the athletics from these educational institutions and whether that's, you know, right or wrong, better or good or not. I think that's going to be a natural progression of the sport just to move away from that. And you might have a situation where the NCAA still exists. You still have, you know, quote unquote college sports, but it's much closer to what we have now as a current club model from, you know, it's, it's guys, they can stay there as long as they want to, they play into the Oregon name, but then you might see like, you know, the Eugene club basketball team. And that's what kind of takes off, you know, cause it's pulling in guys from lane, you know, Northwest Christian, all these other places. I just don't like you, like you're talking about the funding coming from the educational side and from the state side. I just don't see that coming in it the should next be separate. four years. Yeah. yeah. And again, I, I have mixed feelings on it. I think, you know, you you see, um, you see a lot of young people get taken advantage of in the current, you know, club sports systems that we have now in the United States. And so possibly having more organization, more regulations around that could be a real positive in regards to moving all of the sports forward. And this could be something that really affects Oregon in particular, because Oregon's not a very big state and there's a lot of different institutions, you know, pulling athletes all over the place. And so if there was some kind of organization that was able to collect that talent, I mean, it could be a really fascinating evolution of Oregon sports. Yeah. I definitely, a side note, I think uh, if, if I'm going to give a senseless plug to my own show that people are watching, <laughs> but, I, but I did, I don't know if you listened to it even, Justin. It's, it was great. I interviewed Robert Alexander Hamilton 
uh, he is one bad Listen dog. To a little bit of that one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, and he told his story about coming to the ducks, being recruited from Los Angeles from Inglewood and, you know, getting hurt and how he had like a, your scholarships are one year at a time. People don't understand. They're like, Oh, they're giving all this stuff. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like you only, you're thinking about the ones that made it, you know, you're not thinking about the, the, the vast majority that didn't make it, that had all these crazy things that are like eating ramen, you know? And so that's a, I mean, we could be here for days talking about the ills <laughs> of, of the student athlete. Yeah. And, and there's no safe haven. Cause like you said, with club sports, you know, we had Brandon Jennings, I think was the first player that for, he didn't go to college to play basketball. He went to overseas mm-hmm. and they treated him like garbage and, you know, and really it's tough. Time. Really hard time. So it's interesting to see more athletes doing that now with the New Zealand Basketball Association being a little bit more friendly. You're seeing the NBA respond now, trying to empower the G League and kind of have this almost prep team that kind of plays within the NBA. So with all this COVID stuff happening and having that pause put on national sports, you're you're allowing some of these executives and some of these think or these thought makers and things of that nature to have a little bit of time to look at things from a different perspective. So I'm really curious to see how things kind of move forward. We can use this segue to talk a little bit about baseball if you'd like to also where baseball might be in real trouble. You don't have, you don't have new fans. So you've got in, in baseball town. Because one thing about baseball is the generational aspect of it that was shared. And I swear nowadays, it's like, there's no, you don't have the same connections commonly between grandkids and grandparents that we used to. I mean, for one, people are spread out or different places in the country or there's broken homes or, you know, whatever it is, but there's just not, I mean, I've got mixed feelings on that too, because unfortunately in the past, when we were kids, we didn't have a voice. Our, we spoke when we, and, and our parents even less than us. For the most part. Yeah, you're very right. You know, and then today it's like, shut up, grandma. You know, and that shit, <laughs> that's not okay. The but scene then from it's Talladega also, Nights. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's like the best thing ever. <laughs> I'm, I'll come at you like a spider monkey. No, but, but uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, so th- there's, that's a whole different thing. But there's so many issues with baseball being a generational thing, it's like, you, you know, your grandpa takes you to a game and takes young girls to games. You know, I mean, it's not just, it's not boys. I mean, it's a, it's exposing a, young people to it. Yeah. I've got a, it's, interestingly enough, a lot of the baseball fans I know are female, you know, huh. a lot of that, that just, I mean, I just know a lot, probably if they live in baseball cities and I'm talking about people that I, I cut hair on a, on campus at a barbershop, talk to people from all over the country and there's a lot of baseball fans, but it's rare. Yeah. You know, it's rare. Well, and that's where baseball is really missing that opportunity by jumping out there. And it's unfortunate to see just the distrust that exists between the players union and the owners and just the, the, the waves that that's causing the ripple effects that that's causing where you see guys like, um, well, what's his name? Uh, pitcher for the Rays, I think came out on like his Twitch stream and was saying, I'm not going to come out here and play if I'm not getting paid or I'm not getting, I honestly money. don't even know any baseball players. Kind of a thing. I read the, I've read a couple different comments. There was also yeah. a comment talking about looters and how you would shoot them, yeah. which is not good. No, it's not good. Well, and then Bryce Harper also kind of went out there and echoed those same sentiments in regards to, you know, why are we going to go out there and pay play for, you know, a lesser paycheck. And th- there's a point there where these, these owners have been making, I mean, millions, if not billions of dollars sometimes off of these sports organizations. And there's no guarantee written into your contract saying that this organization is going to make money every single year. 
we have to hold, and this is where I get very pro player. I mean, you have to hold those owners to that contract that I'm going to pay you this amount for the season, whether I take a loss or not. This isn't some kind of commission thing. Now in the NBA, it's different because the salary cap is so intimately tied to the revenue, but in baseball, there is nothing like that. And so they, the owners, in my opinion, really don't have a leg to stand on in this kind of a situation, asking these players to come back and risk, you know, their health to be away from their families and without any kind of clear plan, like the NBA's put together. I mean, I I would hate to see this, but I mean, you may be, you may see major league baseball completely fall apart. I don't know if they can come back from this. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like they're, there's talk about scrubs. They're talking about, you know, replacement players and Tim Tebow, baby. Yeah. Right. We know what happened last time in, in the nineties, we had a strike and then we had replacement players. And then the only thing that brought it back was steroids, which then ruined baseball. Wire and Sosa was the whole home run race is what brought back the excitement to people is because they're hitting all these home runs. But I mean, I don't know how anyone didn't think they were on steroids. I mean, Mark McGuire's arms were like just, oh my God. Yeah. And their heads grew <laughs> size nine hats. Anyway, we're getting close to that hour. So Justin, we covered a ton. We bounced all over the place. That's what we do. I appreciate you doing this on short notice. There's so much going on in the world and, and ELE, everybody, everybody love everybody, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. As difficult as it might be sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah. I've been really trying with social media today. I had something pretty, really crazy happen. I want to touch on it real quick. Uh, but I've been trying really hard when there's people with differing views, if they're not an asshole, cause I'll block people with no hesitation. I don't care. And people yeah. are like, censorship. I'm like, dude, you're an idiot. We're not even debating on that anymore. Yeah. Uh, well, how that works. But this guy, cause I have the five for one community group and this mm-hmm. guy made this comment using the N word and I instantly blocked him. And then he, I, I don't dox people, but cause I just have ethics. So I, I was like, but I know who will. <laughs> so, and so, so, I messaged a couple friends and I was like, Hey, share this information. So I kind of did, I guess, but in a roundabout way. And you sub docs. Yeah. Proxy docs. (laughs) So he is going to have an interesting pink slip week uh, because he works at a local place that we will go public with and he will lose his job. Some of the things he said, he ended up calling my friend on, on Facebook through messenger. He ended up calling her an N loving C word. And I'm like, whoa, you're done, dude. You know, true colors. You know, like you were saying, unfortunately, one of the one of the few silver linings of all of these kinds of tumultuous scenarios is people are being authentic. And if you're that being works in both ways. In both sides, absolutely. Yeah. It does allow for for certain circumstances and for certain I mean, I don't want to use the word judgment, but for I mean it's karma, man. It happens. Yeah. I've seen a lot of positivity since reopening the barbershop, I've seen countless examples of kindness and compassion, thoughtfulness, togetherness, vulnerability, which is okay. Mm-hmm. And it's very inspiring. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to focus my life on. And what's it, what it's inspiring me to do is have a little bit more of a backbone to where when somebody says something I don't like, I say, okay, I don't like what you're saying, but at the same time, I admire you. Mm-hmm. And I've also changed my tone about certain things. I had a friend that was posting about he posted a picture of his gun with a couple mags and he's like if someone breaks my window out of my car they can expect gunfire and i at first i was like whoa you know but then i I, in the past i would have been like that's too aggressive but i'm like i I ain't mad at you you know like at this point it's like some of the some of the displays that we've seen he wasn't doing it to be tough he was doing it like i will protect my family at all costs Mm -hmm. and we're in a we're in a spot right now where 
we don't have leadership in this country. We don't have leadership. And so it's up to us and we can only do so much because you don't have time. You don't have the platform to have time to show somebody that your heart's in the right place when they're losing their mind. So no, I I would just go back to the, you know, every, every action has an opposite end or opposite reaction, you know? And so just, just making sure that if something is worth escalating, that it, that it is worth it. You know, the juice is truly worth the squeeze in that kind of a scenario. And, and, and as many circumstances as we can, um, where we feel possible to, you know, using de-escalation techniques and things like that. But I, like you said, it's, it's one of those personal choice things. And that's, that's yeah. part of what being an American and living in this country is about is having that personal freedom and having that personal choice. And, you know, it's yeah. a poorly coached team, man, that this country is a very poorly coached team at this moment. We got a yeah, lot of talent, we, yeah. but we're a poorly coached team. <laughs> yeah. The emperor has no clothes. So Justin, Justin fluid, uh, the co-host of the flock pod. I'll put the link in the show notes. Appreciate I'm going to end this. I'm going to, yeah, it's always great talking to you. Uh, I was hoping you would have your hair out and not in a band. Cause it's hey, we, we can see, we can get a little flow going here. He's you got know, the, here he's the got end. the COVID, the COVID hair going on. I, so, I will not be visiting a, a barber anytime soon. So yeah, we're just going to let the flow go. Well, screw you for that. No, cause, <laughs> cause I am a bar. No. So anyway, uh, I'm going to end this with a song and I want to give it a little, uh, disclaimer because it's pretty colorful language in it it's a song that i wrote under the name selflessly about willie called black sheep if you listen there's a lot of stuff that i talk about it's a, it, i used it because there's a kind of a sports reference but it's it's basically feeling like the black sheep and it was when i was young and i was brainstorming about just everything in life and i was learning myself and learning society so there's some colorful language that i used not towards people i'm saying I say, uh, you know, talking about colored people, faggots and Jews, and I use the words and you'll see when you listen to it, because it's not, it's not in, I'm not using those words. I'm saying that those words are wrong. Yeah. And so, context, uh, yeah, you know, and I, I, there's a line in it that I'm actually pretty proud of. It says, I feel like the black sheep surrounded by white sheets, watching bigotry tax the loving to build hate fleets. And I felt like today that that song is still fitting. And I got to be honest with you, back in the day, I was an angry young man. So sometimes I play songs on here that were from a different time and that's, and so I can't excuse it, but it's, it's powerful stuff. And so I like to end it with music. And so I'm going to end this with a song. It's me, Self-Esteem by Willie, with Black Sheep, Justin Fluid. Thanks a lot. Be the change, people. Can't make a writer out of a thug, no love for the obstacle of opposition. Pole position is my disposition. In this position, tradition is blasted like bonds. Going, going, gone. I go unseen like a brown man on a frozen pond. Playing for the team of an individual quest that I'm on. Is a solo mission, my rendition of life looks bleak and unpolished. Cause I'm not the tallest, I polish just a little bit different. As a heaven sent my subjects and predicates come out. More delicate, poetic is a state of unprecedented transcendence through thought with repentance. My descendants may not share the same views They're hating on colored people, faggots and Jews My descendants may not share the same views They're hating on colored people, faggots and Jews I feel like the black sheep surrounded by white sheets Watching bigotry, tax a loving to build hate fleets I feel like the black sheep surrounded by white sheets Watching bigotry, tax a loving to build hate fleets My descendants may not share the same views They're hating on colored people, faggots and Jews My descendants may not share the same views They're hating on colored people, faggots and Jews I feel like a black sheep surrounded by white sheets Watching bigotry, tax a loving to build hate fleets I feel like a black sheep surrounded by white sheets Watching bigotry, tax a loving to build hate fleets Hate speech is heard from the Americas You're a bitch and the shish goombas Take two prisoners and call me in the morning Make sure they're American for the terror warning Hate speech is heard from the Americas 
terror warning. All my Mexicans standing on quicksand, absorbing your energy with movements of my swift hands. I'm Norwegian, and cold weather is my seasonal rhyming and opera storming intoxicating your region. Home Scottish, you act obnoxious with battle and battle rounds. I stand to accomplish all my rich, a bloody drunken stylist. Bring on the punch, forget the keys, cause I can't drive shit. I'm an Indian, native Northern American, a warrior with a vision to be a lyrical barbarian. Watching bigotry, tax a loving to build hate fleets.